Okay, very good. Okay. Um, go. We're back. <laughs> and um, Tim did an excellent job of uh, interpreting the sermon for us this morning. We appreciate that. Thank you so much. Or Chris, I mean. Chris. Yeah. And then, um, and then Tim is busy here, too. <laughs> and then otherwise, um, we... Uh, what a, what a wonderful blessing it is to be here to welcome the new pastors, uh, Pastor Sam, Rachel, and then your two boys whose names are Caleb and Simeon. Simeon. Very, very well. And so, you know, I, there was a time that I knew this congregation very well, 40 years ago, and my first, uh, first congregation. And it was a blessing to be here for Carolyn Nelson's memorial service last week, whom I have known 44 years out of the 101 years that she lived on this earth. And uh, what a, a blessing that she and Lenny were to me and this congregation. And, uh, and even though we don't know you now like we did 40 years ago when we were the pastor at King of Glory in Eden Prairie, that uh, there's the same spirit here. It's a very welcoming spirit and um, we just uh, wanted uh, you to know the, how excited we are at Solid Rock, where your Pastor Bo was called to serve, and how we felt a responsibility and one with joy to remember you before God in calling someone here and to take his place. And now we know what, uh, who that is, and it just, uh, it's uh, just so special for me to be able to be here for you on this, on this day. And also to... Um, and there's one thing that I've mentioned. Uh, there's an old um, table prayer that would thank God for the blessings that we were about to receive. You might not know what they are, but we thank God for them anyway. And sometimes you can tell by the smell of the kitchen here when you walk into it, you know, and uh, thanking God for what you're about to receive. But uh, look at what the Lord has done. Thanking him, even when you, your pastor was called elsewhere, and thanking you for, uh, for what God is going to do. And now we know. And it's always interesting to see the face of the congregation changing into the, uh, the look that the Lord had in mind for the congregation. Looks are a lot different now than they were 40 years ago, of course, to me. But uh, he always has more in mind here than we know. And it's just wonderful to see how he brings people into the flock according to his desire, gifts them for the ministry that he has for the church here. And how we would like to think of ourselves if you'll privilege us with that, uh, with that blessing of being a sister congregation for you up in Anoka here at Solid, at Solid Rock as well. And we'll continue to be remembering you here. And we have some of your church family here, the pages, up with us uh, there too. And so we feel a connection there. But we, what we'd like to do this morning is to be connected to the Lord in, a, in particular. I have felt that during the worship service so far. And uh, we would like to read from God's Word from Romans chapter 12, and, uh, which Chris alluded to earlier here. If you'll stand as I read then, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, verses that might be familiar to you and how wonderful they are. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For the, 
By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of himself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is in prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is in serving, let him serve. If it is in teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do so cheerfully. These are thy holy words, Heavenly Father. And how we pray this morning that you might sanctify and cleanse us in thy truth. For thy word from cover to cover is everlasting truth. Amen. Please be seen in. And it was, it's always interesting to me how the Lord puts the service together. And whether we plan for it to be that way or not, you know, God intervenes. And we're so thankful for that. It better be that way, by the way. And, uh, and from coming in from the Bible study this morning here, I see such a connection with these verses that we have from Romans chapter 12. And I wonder if, uh, how many of us remember the children's song, My God is So Big. You want to do the actions too? So strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And yet, as much as we know that, I wonder how many of us live that way. What difference does God's greatness make in the way we live our lives? How does God measure up in your heart and mind? Isaiah wrote, Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each one of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And so what do those thoughts mean to us this morning? There's no problem that he cannot solve. There's no mountain he cannot move. There's no fear that he cannot overcome. But we understand this only as we learn to trust him more as God continues to reveal himself to us. And as he shows us how great he is, we better appreciate him, who he is, what he's capable of doing. And I like to say that I see God every single day by the things that happen around me that only happen because he's there doing it. Because there's no other explanation for it. There's another standard by which God is measured to behold his greatness, and that's been alluded to as well this morning. It impressed the angels, the heavenly host, when he entered the world as a human being. And how when he showed, him, showed the world the awesome power of love that he determined to conquer the world with. And God Almighty, beyond reason, lowered himself as no one else could, becoming one of us in order to save us. And in the same way, Jesus says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And that relates right close to our Sunday school lesson this morning, too, doesn't it? With humility. Creating the universe was child's play for God, and it was, but it was another thing. Submitting himself to his creation. And then convincing people to trust in what he did. He allowed his creation to abuse their creator, even dying for the ones that caused his death. How great is our God. Behold all questions, um, 
The mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, seen of angels, was preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. And Jesus' work of redemption was so wonderful and amazing that the angels of God wanted a ringside seat at the Incarnation and were privileged to announce that God had arrived in the person of a baby. A miracle of grace overshadowed everything else that he had ever done before to redeem that which he created. So the apostle writes, Let the same mind in you be in you that was in Christ. Jesus, who did not regard equality with God something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. And as we learn more about God, his stature grows. His greatness is measured by the size of his heart. And that should say a lot to those who want to follow him. This means relying on him rather than ourselves to save us and do what needs to be done, overcoming everything. And how we see God makes all the difference in the world and will determine how we see everything else in life. What we think and what we do, how confidently we face every challenge. And all we need to do is to surrender to him in faith and trust him with every area of our life which we are encouraged to do in the first verse of our text. The astronomers are finding the universe is much bigger than they once thought. They cannot find an end to it, matter of fact, no matter how far they reach into the heavens. And it helps us to see how big God is as the creator of it all. We keep seeing deeper into the universe to explore ever more that there is to find with the new technologies that we have. And there will always be more to our God than we dreamed possible. As he reveals himself in his word, and we see that there is no situation on earth that's beyond his control. Certainly no situation in your life that is not beyond his control. And as our understanding of life and God's word grows, we find him growing in size. Not that he's the one changing, but, but our perspective of him changes as we grow to know him more. And people, and Christians even, don't know what they're missing by failing to trust him more than we do on a daily basis. And there's a song that says it well, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Remember the rest of the world words? All for grace, to trust him more. And uh, many Christians worship a small God in, in their small minds because of their meager knowledge of him and their experience of him. But in Romans chapter 1 we read, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. And since the Bible is the word of an infinite God, we will never know all there is to know. And I find the more I learn from Scripture, the more I'm aware of how little I really know at all compared 
what is, to what is yet to be discovered. And it is exciting to imagine where God can take us, making new, wonderful discoveries of him every day until we're in his presence for postgraduate studies, which will last forever until we know as we are known. And the more we grow to know about God, the more we see ourselves too and size ourselves up. The closer we are to him and see him in his purity and righteousness, the more aware that we are of our smallness, of our sinfulness. And that gives us a greater love and appreciation for the Lord and everything that he needed to do to redeem us. And so God invites us not only well, certainly to come on to me, but also to call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. And I challenge each one of us to take him up on that offer, and we will see and appreciate how great he is, how the great God of the universe diminished himself to fit in the open human heart. And um, there's another song that words go like this. He's Big enough to rule his mighty universe, and yet small enough to fit within my heart. And God's greatness and his redeeming love is exposed throughout Scripture to us. And I'd like to just uh, call our attention back to Exodus chapter 14, which I call the Great Escape. How God led his people into a terrible place, impossible to escape from by themselves, in order to show himself to them. The Egyptian army closing in on them, and they were hemmed in by the Red Sea and nowhere to go, no hope in sight. And only in that situation with the people in great peril was God able to reveal his greatness to them by the mighty and miraculous deliverance he provided. When we come to the end of ourself, we see God as never before. And in the same way, God's law in, in our, our own lives are designed to corner us, to show us our hopeless condition that we're walking in until we cry out for help with trouble closing in and just turn it over to the Lord who by his mighty power and grace delivers us and shows himself to us. The apostle in our text is in effect saying the more we give ourselves to God, the less there is of ourselves to fill that heart, leaving more room for him. In other words, the more we give ourselves to him, the more of himself he's able to give to us. And therefore, Paul urges us, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Give him our all. And many come to understand this truth late in their lives or when undergoing some tragedy, tragedy which opens their eyes and hearts to the truth. And then they finally let go and let God take over because they simply cannot do it themselves anymore and may have worn themselves out trying. And that is just where God wants to take over and reveal his greatness. And giving him anything less than our all not only shows our lack of trust in him, but, but a self-reliance which is unbecoming a Christian, and especially considering all that he's done for us. And we have to redeem, relearn this each and every day on our march to, the, to our promised land. God deserves our all, not lukewarmness, and only when we give 
ourselves completely while we receive everything that he has in return along with the peace and the joy there is knowing him the way he wants to be known. There was once an ancient coin uh, that had a message on it. It was dug up in Israel with an inscription on the front and the back. On the one side was an ox on the altar of sacrifice, dead. On the other side was a living ox plowing, pulling the plow. And the inscription read, ready for service or sacrifice. It doesn't matter which. And God asks us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to him, to serve him with, to honor him with perpetual worship because that's what our life is to be. In Bible times when animals were sacrificed, they were absolutely and completely dead. There was no such thing as a partial sacrifice. And this is the offering that God wants from his people, complete offerings, dead to self, alive to Christ, dead to the old nature and the world around us, and yet living to enjoy him and to serve him with our whole heart and soul and mind and strength. And it is, it is only the reasonable thing to do and we'll receive so much more in return than we ever could imagine, serving the purpose that God created us for. I read about missionaries years ago departing for a place in the world that they probably would never return from alive. And uh, the, the last time they saw their loved ones was waving goodbye, going across the ocean, and their loved ones pleaded with them to stay home where it was safe. And their reply was priceless. We've already died once to ourselves and our worldly possessions and everything that holds us back. And so they went not looking back. And this is the kind of sacrifice that God loves from his people. They love him and trust him more than any regret or losing anything that the world has to offer. And being a living sacrifice to God simply means giving up control. It's a hard thing to do. It doesn't come naturally. Living to please the one who died for us. By nature, we want to please ourselves. We, but we've been separated by God unto God from the ungodly ways of the world that we are to be dead to. We've been separated by God from hell itself. And there are many who call themselves Christians who find it difficult to die to themselves. And even thinking that they can have it both ways, to live for the world and live for God at the same time. And I tried this too long in my own life until I realized there's no satisfaction from God or the world when we're trying to live for both. James writes, the double-minded people are not much good to the Lord. They have mixed loyalties and diminish him in the eyes of the world. But it seems like fewer and fewer are willing to take a stand for God and what is right these days, simply to save, save themselves. And um, we, they don't find it preached in many pulpits. Their souls suffer from a small vision of God. People are, con are encouraged to conform their thinking to what the majority of people believe and sacrifice the God and his word on the altar of ignorance and self-indulgence. And this helps to explain the condition of the world that we live in when the conscience of a nation no longer works. Everyone is left to do what Israel did in the time of the judges, doing what was right in their own eyes. Don't we see that happening in the world today that is causing so much trouble? 
And therefore, God says in verse 2, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When in doubt about right and wrong, don't go by the opinion of others, even if it sounds good. Go to God. Let his spirit show you from the Bible. He's big enough to answer all of our questions. And then show yourself to the world, a product of God's grace, bigger than the world around you, to magnify the Lord in their eyes. And the things that we experience give us a unique self-image, and we think of ourselves in terms of our accomplishments many times, don't we? Judging ourselves by our own standards or by comparing ourselves with others will always disappoint us. But God wants to think of us to think of ourselves in verse 3 by the relationship that we have with him, children of the king, who he considered worthy to die for. And he says, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Think of yourselves with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has given. And what a relief it is to uh, know that we are not big enough to cope with life ourselves. We're insufficient. God never intended us to be able to. He teaches us in the church that no one is an island. What, uh, what one does affects all others too, and we are to work together as a family to bless our Heavenly Father and each other. And we have a special place in this body of Christ shaping a big world, and God is bigger than it all, recreating all that he made by himself for himself. He gifted us, gifted us with the purpose he created us for. The church is referred to the body of Christ, as we mentioned, composed of many members, each with divinely appointed gifts for a purpose to fulfill, to function according to his will as the head of the body. And we all have gifts and talents that we need to do God's will, blessing others, traveling toward our promised land. And we will find them along the way if we're looking and as we work with them, and it is exciting to explore and discover what real treasure lies within which God has planted there, using them in their fullest measure in a self-sacrificial life, life to God. And as his grace flows into us and through us, the world will see how big he is by how much they see him in his people. There is so much more to God than you know. He lives in you. The more you realize that and find it out, the more secure you will feel in his care as your problems diminish in size, including the giants, the Goliaths, which seem inconquerable. But compared to our God, who is bigger than them all, they don't amount to much. Let's pray for this to happen in each other's lives, to continue growing in grace along with the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, let's find our soul expanding. To him be glory both now and forever. And if you'll help me to complete the verse, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would help us to see you more clearly and know you more fully and for us to be representing a God who is the creator of the universe, but small enough to live within our hearts. Help us to live as children of the King, Heavenly Father, and to measure 
everything by you in life. And so we just give ourselves to you, praying that your blessing would rest upon us and upon this congregation now in particular and the new pastor and his family. We commend each one of us into the loving hands of God, you, God, our Father, and into the loving nail-scarred hands of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.